The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. In the 49th chapter of Genesis, we read about Jacob blessing his children before he dies. When he came to Judah, he made a statement that the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. What is this reference to Shiloh? What does this mean? Well, the fact is, this is a glorious prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ. In today's message, we begin to look at this prophecy and to see some of the glorious truths about the coming of the future Messiah. All the way back in the Old Testament, as far back as Jacob, Jesus had been prophesied, and this is one of the sweetest of all the prophecies. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
In Genesis chapter 49, we read about Jacob calling his sons to his side, to his bedside, as he is about to give up the ghost. And he gives them some blessings and he, he gives them some prophecies of their future. And he talks to each one of them individually. And down beginning in verse 8, he begins to talk to Judah, his son who was not the firstborn, but the one through whom the kingly line would come. And in verse 10 of this discourse with Judah, he makes this statement. He says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Lord being my helper tonight, I want to go through this verse and indeed most of this passage involving Jacob's prophecy to his son Judah. And I think we're going to see some very sweet, rich truths from this prophecy, which indeed it is a prophecy. Until Shiloh come. That's a sweet um, passage, a sweet clause there that gives us some anticipation and some hope. Until Shiloh come. This is a clear prophecy about the coming Messiah. And, and, and this is forecasting his ultimate birth here and life in the flesh on this place that we call earth, this graveyard that is indeed the planet earth. And the things that we can learn from this, I believe, will be sweet to us as children of God who understand the glories of the grace of God. So first of all, let's look at it. Notice in verse 10, he says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, the scepter. The idea here is of a kingly line. The scepter is a symbol of royalty. It's the symbol of power that a king would bear. A king would have a scepter if he was indeed a king. In that day, he would sit on the throne and he would have a scepter that would show forth his authority. And what Jacob is telling here, he's saying to all of his children, specifically to Judah, that it will be through Judah that the kingly line will come. They don't have kings right now. Right now, they're just a bunch of tribes that are a fam or family, really, right now, and they're going to become the tribes of Israel. But ultimately, you know, there will be a unified kingdom for a short period of time and then a divided kingdom for several centuries, but there will be kings who will sit on the throne of David. We know that Saul was the first king of, of Judah, the king of Israel. He was the first one that was raised up as a king. And he, uh, he is not of the line of Judah. He was of the line of Benjamin. But uh, uh, I, I want to point out something to you over in the book of Hosea. Uh, and you recall, I don't want to get into, too far into the weeds here, but you remember how that Saul became king? Saul became king because the children of Israel clamored for a king. They, they went to um, uh, the prophet Samuel and said, we want to be like the nations. We want a king. Set us up a king. And Samuel told them they didn't need a king. They should just follow the Lord. But they said, no, we want a king. So Hosea tells us this over in Hosea chapter 13 and verse uh, 11. He says, I gave thee a king in mine anger and took him away in my wrath. I believe that's a direct reference to Saul. He gave them a king. He gave them what they asked for. You know, we often hear this, uh, the, the phrase, be careful what you ask for. You might get it. They asked for a king. 
And they got a king. Now, now let me make it clear. God did not call Saul to run off the tracks of righteousness. Saul did that on his own. In fact, there was a time when King Saul was a righteous, good king. In fact, uh, Samuel later references it in, in, in admonishing him and taking the kingship from him. He said, when you were little in your own eyes, God blessed you. You know, that's a pretty clear admonition to us, is it not? Uh, I tell you, when, you know when God will bless you? It won't be when you're lifted up in pride. It'll be when you're little in your own eyes. In fact, when they went to crown Saul king, he, they found him hiding among the stuff. <laughs> he was hiding because he, he obviously didn't think he was worthy of doing it. But later on, he became lifted up with pride. And all the things that Saul did were on him, not on God. But you know the trouble they got into, and he ended up chasing David all over the Judean hillsides there. And ultimately, David replaced him as king. So ultimately, David was the king, and he was of the kingly line. You, you may recall that in the 16th chapter, I believe it is, of 1 Samuel, uh, even while Saul sat on the throne, Samuel was sent to Jesse, and he anointed David king. The truth of the matter is, is that David was the king before he sat on the throne. He was already anointed. All that time he was running, being chased by Saul, in God's eyes, he was already the king. And Jacob here says that the kingly line will come through you, Judah, because the scepter will not depart from you until a certain point of time. You can, I'm not going to turn there, but I encourage you sometime to turn to the first chapter of Matthew and the third chapter of Luke. And both of those give the genealogy of Christ. Joseph's lineage is in Matthew 1, Mary's lineage is in Luke chapter 3, and guess what? They all go back through Judah. By the way, does that not, does that not lend a little bit more uh, light upon so many encounters in the Scripture? Think about, think about the encounter between David and Goliath. Now, I get that's a, that's a wonderful children's story. That's something I heard when I was a child, and I love, I love the story of the little man beating the big man. And that's a great, a great story in any situation, you know. And, and we still use that today. We still notice how many things come from the Scripture. We still talk about a David and Goliath battle, don't we? That was, a, you know, sometimes in football, <laughs> if there's a, there's a low-ranked team playing a high-ranked team, we say, well, that's a David and Goliath battle. But the truth of the matter is the David and Goliath battle was more than just a little man beating a big man. It was actually the whole lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ was on the line. The whole purpose of God and salvation was laid there on the line in the valley of Elah when David, the little shepherd boy, came up against the great giant uh, Goliath. If David dies, salvation's over. <laughs> Think about how many times throughout history God providentially uh, uh, preserved a seed that would ultimately result in the birth of the Messiah. Think about Abraham and Sarah. God said, your seed is coming through Sarah, but Sarah was barren. And ultimately, Abraham had lost the ability because of his age to even father children. Oh, the, the godly line, the, the line of Messiah is about to die out, I guess. No, because God preserved it providentially. He opened Sarah's womb. There were so many situations like that. If you look down through the ages of history and you'll see where God continued to preserve that line until Shiloh come. 
until Christ came. Because in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, I believe it is, is the first promise to Abraham where he says, In thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Turn sometime over to Galatians chapter 3, and I believe it's verse 4, but don't hold me to that. But it says there the gospel was before preached to Abraham. You know what that, that statement about all nations of the earth being blessed in Abraham? That's the gospel message. You know, don't tell me that the God of the Old Testament was a different God than the God of the New Testament. There, came, there, there, there was this big controversy in the early church days uh, that, where that one group promoted the idea that, well, the God of the Old Testament was, was, was really Satan. He was evil and wicked, and, and the God of the New Testament was God. No, God is God all throughout time. He's never not been God. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, and in the Old Testament from the days of Adam and Eve, it had been forecasted by God that the Messiah was coming. He said to Eve, or he said to the serpent actually, about Eve, he said, I'll put enmity between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. You know, a head wound's fatal, isn't it? <laughs> a heel wound you can get over. A head wound is fatal. He bruised the heel of Christ on Calvary, but Christ bruised his head. He, he put death out of business. He slew the serpent there on Calvary. I know we still experience death. We still have problems and tragedies like we've talked about tonight, about some young person being killed or someone dying in an unexpected time and in an unexpected way. But praise God, God, he has put death out of business eternally. It still rains for a little while here, but one day he's going to put it under his feet because he's already defeated it. See, that was the gospel. He said, he said all nations of the earth will be blessed in you, Abraham. And over in the book of Haggai, chapter 2, he talks about the desire of all nations will come. You know what he's talking about there? He's not talking about the desire of every single person in every single nation. But he tells us in Revelation that there's a people of God in every kindred and nation and tongue and tribe. And the desire of all kinds of people from every nation in the world is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God is speaking directly here to, to, to David. And he says this. He says in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12. He said, when thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You say, well, that's talking about Solomon, right? No, Solomon's dead. He's not sitting on the throne forever. Well, maybe it's talking about Solomon's line of those that would sit physically on the throne in Jerusalem. Well, there's no throne in Jerusalem today, beloved. That throne ended about the time of uh, not too long, I think a generation or two after Josiah, when the Babylonians carried him captive. And there never was another king that's of, of the Davidic line that sat upon the throne. And, and so what is he talking about? He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying that, uh, that there's a kingdom that I'm going to establish through your line. When the Messiah comes, and that kingdom will never end. You remember the first message that Jesus preached, and really the only message he ever really preached? He said, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Beloved, praise God, that kingdom. It's the kingdom that Daniel talked about in the ninth and 10th chapter of the book of Daniel. He said it will, it will last forever. The kingdom that the Lord Jesus Christ sits on will never end. 
It's existent today. Some people are looking for a kingdom to come somewhere down the road and to be here physically on this earth. But beloved, what I read about is a spiritual kingdom that Jesus Christ and John the Baptist both said is at hand. That didn't mean it's at hand, but there's 2,000 years between it. No, it's at hand. It's right here. And I'm establishing that kingdom. In the vi- now, I realize that's a topic <laughs> that's way too big to preach about, <laughs> in one sermon at least. In one sense, the kingdom of God is every single child of God everywhere. But the sense in which I believe Jesus was talking about it was the visible aspect of that kingdom, which is the church of the living God. We are living in that kingdom today, beloved. Jesus Christ, Shiloh, was coming and he would be the last one to sit on the throne. Let me just say this. You can go back sometime and you can read about the history of the nation of Israel. And as we said, there was a time when David was ruling and reigning in Jerusalem and his descendants continued to do so until the Babylonian captivity. And from that point until the time of Christ, off and on, the people of Israel possessed the ability to govern themselves, off and on up through that time. But there came a time when Pompey Magnus, Pompey the Great, who was a great general as a contemporary of Julius Caesar, a rival of Julius Caesar, came in and began and took over the country of Israel for the Romans and Roman domination it began in about 63 BC and so that by the time Jesus was being brought to trial and about to be executed by crucifixion we're told in John 18 and verse 31 that Pilate said to those Jews you go take him you go take him but they said it is not lawful for us to put any man to death what's happened here one of the one of the clearest uh portions of the power of any kingdom is the ability to execute its laws of any government any government that has any authority any government that has the scepter of power must have the ability to execute its own laws and if capital punishment is part of that which it was in the laws of the jews if they had the scepter still they would be able to execute any man that they wanted to but guess what by the time jesus came By the time Shiloh arrived, the scepter had departed. Notice what it said back in our text. It said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until, until. Notice, there's a point when the scepter will depart. And that point was when Shiloh came, until Shiloh comes. So, so you say, uh, you, you say to me, preacher, you're saying that Shiloh is Jesus. Why do you believe that Shiloh is Jesus? I think it's clear, both from the text and throughout the, the scriptures, that Shiloh, that he's referencing here, is the Lord Jesus Christ. The word Shiloh itself literally means tranquility or rest. And it's the same root word as Shalom. Shalom is the greeting still today in Israel. And it means peace. It means peace. And here it's used in a, in a noun form. It's, and it's pointing us to the one who will bring rest. The one who will bring peace. You remember what happened after God created the universe? After the first six days of creation, God rested. Right? God, he didn't rest because he was tired. He didn't rest because he'd run out of energy. He rested because he was finished. 
Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 tells us that after he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the Father on high. You know why Jesus sat down? He sat down in rest, not because he was tired, but because he had finished. That's what he meant when he said in John 19 and verse 30, it is finished. He had completed the work. You know, I, I like to always, when I was working on the farm, I'd like to rest in between before I got finished, you know. I'd, I'd sometimes get up in the chicken house away from daddy, you know, and I knew I had a job to do, but I was tired or I wanted to, you know, I, I just wanted to do something else and I'd just sit down and rest. And daddy'd come along and catch me and say, boy, get up. We don't rest till the job's done. <laughs> Too many times I did it and he didn't catch me. I got away with it. But, but here's the point. Daddy knew the principle that God was promoting to us and that is you don't rest until the job is finished, but praise God he rested both at the end of creation and at the end of crucifixion. You know why? Because it was finished. He was finished. <laughs> That's why he sat down. And by the way, in this very passage here that we've read from, we find further support for the fact that Shiloh is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look back at verse 8, still here in Genesis chapter 49. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion. And as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. And unto him shall, be the gathering of the, shall the gathering of the people be, binding his foal unto the vine, and his ass's colt unto the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine, and his teeth white with milk. Notice what he's saying here. Look at, look at this idea. In, in verse 8, he says, your brethren are going to bow down to you. Now, I know this is, this is talking to Judah, but there's some great types and shadows here. He said, your brethren, thy father's children shall bow down before thee. And notice in verse 9, and, and, and couple that with verses 11 and 12, you have a vision here of a bloody lion crouched down over his prey. You see a lion, he says, he stooped down, he couched as a lion. You know, we're, there's a reason that the Lord Jesus Christ is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion is the is the strongest of the beasts. He's, the, he's the, the king of the jungle, as we call him today. He, he, on, the, on the plains of Africa, there is none to challenge a healthy, full-grown lion. There's no challenging him. Here we see the Lord Jesus Christ compared to a lion. And notice it said that his, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. There's great symbolism here. This is a bloodied lion who has victoriously conquered and vanquished his foe. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J. C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com.
Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.